Hello and welcome to Preparing Foster Youth for Adulting, the podcast designed to highlight strategies and resources that help youth in care transition to adulthood successfully. Our guests today are Emily Schmidt with the Cracked Pot Coffee Shop, Kamal Morell with The Monkey and the Elephant, and Bethany Preby with Cultivate Coffee. The topic we're discussing today is the coffee shop model of working with young people aging out of foster care. Welcome everybody to the Aging Out Institute podcast series. I am so glad that you're able to join us for this conversation about the coffee shop model where organizations that are coffee shops or cafes support young people who are older in foster care or aging out of foster care. We're going to get into all of that soon. Before we do that, I'd like to hear from everybody. If you could please introduce yourself. I'll start, Kamal, with you. Could you please share a little bit about yourself? Hi, Lynn. Thank you for having me. My name is Kamal Morell. I am the executive director from The Monkey and the Elephant, which is located in Philadelphia, PA. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Kamal. Emily. Yeah, Lynn. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be with you today. I am Emily Schmidt. And I'm the founder and executive director of the Cracked Pot Coffee Shop. We are located in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. Excellent. Thank you very much. And Bethany. Hi, excited to be here. I am with Cultivate Coffee in Phoenix, Arizona. And my husband and I founded it about six years ago. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Bethany. So my first question to start off this conversation is, what do we call this model? of working with young people aging out of foster care. I know there are several around the country. Maybe the largest right now is the La La Land Kind Cafe in both Texas and California. But there are many different coffee shops, coffee carts, cafes, restaurants. What do you think we should call this model? I'll open it up. That's a great question. We've been thinking about this a little bit, so I'm kind of interested to hear Kamal and Emily. <laughs> Put a stake in the sand. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to tell the world what to call this model. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's kind of interesting. It's something that I really haven't, I've thought about it, but not necessarily been able to put a name to it just because I think the work that we do is so interesting because one, we're the nonprofit piece, but then there's the retail piece. And so what I hope for people to sort of consider us is a cafe, but just more than a cafe, honestly. Our mission hopefully aligns with the work that we do, but also it is on standard, I mean, on par with the quality of the the products that we serve and the way that we service our community. So I consider us more than a cafe. I don't know more than a cafe model is what you could call it, but I try to make sure that for those who come and support us, that they are we're a cafe, but we also have more to offer than just that. So it's kind of hard to put a name to it, though. Yeah, that's an interesting point that you put more than a cafe, because I think that's similar at Cultivate. Like we want to be able to stand on our own as a community coffee shop that people are coming into that also is using it for the work of the community for kids aging out of foster care. So yeah, I don't know if more than a cafe really flows off the tongue, but it, it's kind of fitting. <laughs> Yeah, I like more than a cafe. I think that sums it up for us that work in it. (laughs) I think a lot of times to the general population that's coming in, 
they don't see the more part of it as closely as what we do. You know, the thing that's coming to my mind is just a place of belonging and purpose. I have seen that over the years. We've been open now for over five years. And the importance of the coffee shop being part of the program and what we do is that it kind of is that big bear hug around the program and the kids that are in it and gives them a sense of belonging. And I feel that without that sense of belonging for these kids, that they don't really thrive. So the thing that's coming to my mind is that place of belonging. But that also goes with our customers that patronize the shop. You know, they also, I mean, this becomes their place and their regular stop. So, and it's really cool to see how that organically just happens with the youth that are in our program working at the shop with the customers that also are coming there as a place of belonging. Yeah, I like that. And there are so many other types of businesses out there. It's growing. I feel like we're just kind of at the starting point here, but I just visited Hand to Paws, which is a humane animal shelter out there in Philadelphia that works with young people aging out of foster care. And they employ these young people and support them and mentor them. And their job is to work with these animals. And there are restaurants and there are other types of retail types of businesses that have this particular model. So I wonder if there's a more general term like a business plus support model or something like that. But we don't have to necessarily answer that today. I just thought it was an interesting question. The next question that I wanted to ask each of you is, what is your structure for your organization? Are you fully nonprofit? Are you a for-profit company with nonprofit purpose? Are you a hybrid? What is your actual structure? So at Cultivate Coffee, we are an actual 501c3. The name of our 501c3 is Crowd to Community, and we do business as Cultivate Coffee, but it's all under the nonprofit. And we did debate when we were starting this, did we want to go through the nonprofit route or did we want to be a socially minded business? And ultimately, we decided to go the nonprofit way, which I think for us was the right call because not only can we bring in the income through the coffee shop, but when we need a little more for extra programming, we can go for grants, we can go for donations. So it just opens up more opportunities for us that way. Yeah. And I would say at the Crackpot, it's probably pretty identical to what Bethany just said for us, that we are a 501c3 with probably operating the same as she is where we have the shop and you know that's what we do. But then the program is the heartbeat of what we do and the kids and we just kind of work together. They both go hand in hand very much. Yeah. And I'm just going to piggyback. Ours is identical, 501c3 as well. And pretty much the programming when the young adults work inside the cafe, there's a benefit that they get from learning like professionally, but also from a programming standpoint, we also support that way. Okay. Maybe I'll do a little research on some of the other models like this out there and see, is everybody choosing this route of a 501c3 or are there differences out there? And the reason I ask is because if there's anybody listening who's interested in starting this, maybe they should consider the different options, but it seems like at least everybody here found that nonprofit 501c3 was the way to go. So why did you choose this particular model of having a coffee shop, a cafe, and working with young people aging out of foster care? Why was that chosen when your organization was started? 
That's always the question that I hear a lot. And I'm sure with Kamal and Bethany as well, but I will just speak to myself and the experience at Crackpot. You know, we're a faith-based organization. And so I knew at a very young age, you know, 12 years old, that I had a dream to one day have a coffee shop later in life my husband and I had the desire to foster or adopt. And so these two ideas were kind of swirling at the same time. After we had three biological children of our own, I didn't think they had anything to do with each other. I was thinking about doing one thing at one time and then waiting and doing the coffee shop, maybe when I'm older and in a warmer climate. But the plan after a lot of prayer and a lot of just kind of walking through the process was to have the coffee shop. But as we went through the process of adoption and seeing what the needs were, I realized through that process how many kids are never adopted and then realized that the focus had to be on youth that are aging out that do not have a place of belonging. So for me, it all just came together one day that, oh my goodness, both of these things that I'm very passionate about have to do like they go together. So that's how the crack pot came to be and the desires of both having a coffee shop and supporting foster kids specifically, as I found out, youth that are aging out of the foster care system that oftentimes are slipping through the cracks that don't get the assistance that they need once they do age out. And the name Cracked Pot Coffee Shop has its roots in the Bible, right? Yes, yes. That comes from a Bible verse in 2 Corinthians about being treasured jars of clay and that we all have, you know, tough stuff and flaws and things that were really difficult for us or that we're weak at. But it's, you know, it's Jesus that allowing that hope to fulfill us and sustain us that we're able to kind of shine through our tough stuff and our weaknesses and the hurt and the pains and the traumas and everything. And the name was picked out before the mission was. So it's really cool to see how God kind of worked that (laughs) all into it too. Awesome. Well, thank you for sharing that. Kamal, how about Monkey and the Elephant? So it's interesting when I reached out to find out a little bit more about sort of like the birth and infancy stages of Monkey and the Elephant, talking to the original founder Lisa Nicholas, she really had a, just a transformative experience with during her time in Peace Corps and with young adults and understanding some of the struggles and barriers that young adults who have aged out of foster care face. I believe that she also found that she had an interest in, in coffee and opening a coffee shop and retail, but also knew that there was a bit more that she could do with that interest. And I think coming back to Philadelphia after her time in the Peace Corps, she made an asserted effort to use her resources and her knowledge to sort of do both. And so the monkey and the elephant, the name sort of came about from the code words, code names that she would use with young adults who were unable to really communicate due to like civil unrest happening in their communities. And so when they would speak on the phone, one would use the monkey, the other one used, would use the elephant as their favorite code names. And that's when how she sort of came up with the actual name of the cafe when she came back to the States. And so, but that was all based around her work with young adults who have aged out of foster care. And so thinking about how important that is and knowing that just because you're in a different, living in a different country or a different part of the world doesn't mean that young adults or youth aren't experiencing the same sort of struggles and barriers when it comes to thriving. And so that was more so the reason or the way that she came about with that. And so for me, the passion behind working with young adults has just been 
something I've been interested in for some time. Of course, my, for anyone who doesn't know, my young, my younger cousins were adopted coming up. My mother adopted three of my younger cousins. And so watching her navigate social services and foster care was always important. And I lost her at an early age and actually had to become the kinship care provider for those three younger cousins. And so I also had to understand exactly how it felt to become a provider, but also to see what sort of barriers these young adults faced as they were coming out of teenage years and then moving into adulthood. And so just working my way up and working in Philadelphia, of course, there's so many intersections when it comes to young adults who've aged out of foster care, whether it be lack of education, to housing insecurity, to substance abuse, all these things are important and we need to find a way, our best way to address them. And so Monkey and the Elephant just kind of made sense because it answers or it's, it's a solution to a lot of the issues that I see some of the young adults going through. It provides employment. Not only that, but it provides a safe space for them to grow, to have a better understanding about what it means to be a professional, as well as a space that won't just give them three strikes and you're out of the job. Instead of like reprimanding them about like being late, we're, we're asking like, why are you late? What's going on? How can we sort of support in that way? And so I think all young adults need that kind of support, but especially those who have had a little bit uh, tougher time or a different experience coming up. Kamal, I know I said earlier, because you have a new child in your life, and I congratulated yeah. you for being a new father. What yeah. sounds like you've been a father before. It's just a different circumstance. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. It's, and it's kind of prepared me as far as the lens that I come into this space with. I want to make sure that people are aware, especially the donors or the supporters that we have, or even the the patrons that we have, I want to make sure that they don't put all of our young adults just into one box and say, oh, they've experienced foster care, so it must have looked like this. That experience ranges yeah. from a call that was made from the Department of Human Services at one time to, hey, I may have not known who my parents were or something like that. So the experience ranges, but I want people to treat them as they are, meet them where they are. It's really important. But having that lens, of course, with my younger cousins and now being a father, it's really important to really get that message across. Thank you. Well, Bethany, I'm going to come over to you and ask for your organization for Cultivate Coffee. Mm -hmm. Why that model of a coffee shop? Yeah. So, you know, we had worked with youth, refugees and kids aging out of foster care and definitely saw that there is a need, like Kamal was saying, for a work environment that was going to be patient and kind and just like Emily mentioned before, a place of belonging. And so we knew we needed to be the employer because when you send them out, places, you don't always have that kind of guarantee or somebody who's really invested in the youth beyond what they're giving to the organization. When we really started thinking about what kind of work do we want to do, coffee shop was just shouting at us. A coffee shop is a place that is just so natural for building community. And that's what so many of these youth really need. And I think it also produces a kind of customer that is also kind and patient and wants to see the success. And so we really love the way that coffee just kind of naturally built community. And then also, we love that coffee shops allow for so many other things to happen. And so we can do special events like open mic nights or concerts or art shows. So it gives like a variety of ways for the kids to work. It's not just working as a barista, but if somebody's interested, they could start running with a special event once a month, or it just lends to a lot of different things happening. And, and we love the world of coffee and in the way something that was so obscure, like a seed gets turned into a drink that pleases, you know, millions of people around the world. 
it just had all the elements that seemed like the right way to be employers to the youth. Well, that's wonderful. Thank you for sharing that. It seems to me too that a coffee shop, as far as structure, it doesn't have to be a huge space, does it? Correct. I mean, you could do it as a cart. You could do it as a big space. You could do it as a a coffee truck traveling all around. So it is very versatile. Yeah, Yeah. I think that's a benefit. Yeah, go ahead, Kamal. No, it's definitely true. Our founder, Lisa, she started out just doing pop-ups throughout the city. And so she found the space that made sense for her. What are some challenges getting a shop like this up and running? And how can they be overcome? I think probably a pretty big, obvious obstacle is capital. You know, to start an actual coffee shop, there's a lot that goes into it from machinery to actual space and renting. And I know for us for a long time, that was very daunting. And we had the dream for a lot more years than we actually opened it up. It probably took a good 10 plus years for us to really get going. And we talked about it for a long time. What we finally had to do, which it sounds like the monkey and the elephant was similar, is figure out where could we start. And I think it's such a great way because you can start really small and grow with it. For us, the starting point was actually building our own roaster. And so through research and just being creative, my husband built our first roaster. And so we started from selling coffee and then just kind of built from there. I think it's just so interesting listening to Kamal and Bethany and just the startup, you know, just, I mean, what a cool idea to start like the roaster and just, you know, that's just such a cool, cool thing to see and hear how people start up and get the ball rolling with this. I would say that one of the biggest struggles for us that continues to be a struggle at times is getting the people behind you. Because at the end of the day, as the founder, as the executive director, as the person that is carrying the vision of this, oftentimes you feel the weight of like, okay, if nobody shows up to work tomorrow, or if you lose some key people, it does fall on your shoulders to kind of keep it going. One of the things that has been so crucial to us and a blessing at the same time is the people behind your mission and behind your kids that are going to not only stick by your side and show up. I mean, I'm getting a text as I'm doing this from one of our volunteers who's in her 70s who we're in a position right now where our food prep and our, you know, all of that on the shop side of things we're needing more people to pitch in and help out with things there. And so she's just killing it and doing a great job, but she believes in our mission. She believes in us and it's that teamwork. So not only just jumping in and helping out from that perspective to keep the shop side going, but the people that are not going to give up on your kids, because I know I won't give up on our kids. I have told them come hell or high water, if you're doing what you're doing and and, (laughs) you know, you're lifting your weights, I'm there to spot you. But it's getting the mentors, the people that are also behind you, helping with transportation, helping with cheering these kids on and being that safe landing place for them during crisis situations that I feel at times is difficult to keep that support from volunteers and people that are partnering with us going. Because I know that that it's there for me, but it can get exhausting sometimes if it's just me. (laughs) So. Mm Right. And you're in a little more of a rural area. Right. Too. So that poses its own unique challenges. Yeah. So what do you all think, Kamal and Bethany, as far as ensuring that you have that support from the community, from, from mentors, what can be done? Well, I think one thing that we've done a pretty good job at 
because we're based in Philadelphia, a lot of the local businesses in the area sort of like are tight-knit and close. It's been beneficial to create those relationships with other business owners to sort of support what we have going on at the cafe, but also to help to drive interest and business when it comes to other customers. We found different ways to partner with other businesses, whether it be from like formal mentorships or informal internships. It's been important. It's just also really helpful that we have a clear identity and, and we're able to really speak to that identity when it comes to those who want to support us so that there's no confusion about who, like the young adults or the youth that we're working with, who we're sending their way and what to expect and how to best like work with them. It's really important. So it's really making sure that we are putting our like brand awareness is important to us so that people know what we have and what we're, what our work is. And yeah, that's really been something that's really just been helpful. Yeah. Yeah. And it's sort of like word of mouth, just sort of, it does what it does. And people pretty much know what to expect when they come to the cafe. You know, you make me think of the possible business partnerships and I'll bring up the Cracked Pot Coffee Shop again, just because they're local to where I am. I'm just imagining a situation where you can approach a business nearby. And I'm, I'm just throwing this out there, Emily, just because it's close to you as Planet Fitness. So what if you could get a company like that to quote unquote adopt your shop as a way for them to do community service? And then employees could come out and help you in different ways. And they could also share with their customers about you and send people your way because they're nearby. I'm not necessarily saying Planet Fitness specifically, but (laughs) some business nearby, right? I don't know how feasible that would be, but just crossed my mind. Yeah. And I just want to be clear. We have a ton of partners and supporters. And I mean, we have a really great, great thing going with our community and our sponsors and our volunteers. And that was my point with our volunteer this evening is like, we have this incredible team of people that are behind. I would say in the beginning, it was like trying to find that. And then people, you know, people are moving on. They have life. They, you know, it's finding the same incredible people that we have currently over and over again, when life moves them on and then really getting behind the mission of what we're doing and, you know, and the being trauma informed, because there's a lot of things that happen with our kids that are second, third, fourth, fifth chances with some of them. And you have people that might not be as trauma informed that are looking at you saying, what are you doing? Like, you know, I would have, I wouldn't be giving this person that many tries. Right. So it's just, it's a tricky balance of getting people to buy into what we're doing sometimes and understand the whole trauma informed aspect of what we're doing and all of that. We have a phenomenal team of volunteers and people that are supporting us and that we partner with different organizations. Well, it seems like that's a challenge that every nonprofit working with this population would have if they have any kind of volunteer support, not just this model specifically. So here's the question. What does success look like for your shop, for your cafe? Are you, Lynn, are you asking for the shop side of things and the coffee shop? Are you asking more for like the program side of things with the youth or all of it? However you define success for your organization. Got it. Might be one, might be both. That is interesting, Emily, to hear you you know, ask that because it, I think it's such a different thing than so many nonprofits think through because we really are right. <laughs> doing two things at the same time. We're running a business and we're running a program and they do cross over, but they also have very different goals. 
often as well. And I know for us, you know, one of the reasons we really love the idea of having a model that there is income generated from, you know, our actual program and from the shop is because there's less dependency on donors and grants because that question of success is so tricky because often people want to see these results of they've just graduated high school, they've, they've entered college, they've, you know, these things that on a, a level of, of trying to quantify success and trying to qualify it, these are the things we typically look at. But when you're working with youth who have been in and out of homes their whole life, they've had instability from parents, from their foster care, when they have gone through situations that we don't even want to think about, success a lot of times looks a lot different. And sometimes it's something like getting a driver's license because they're the only one in their family who's ever done it the legal way. And everybody else is just driving without a license. Or sometimes it's the fact that they showed up for four months in a row when typically they've quit everything else before. So in our case, it's hard to say, you know, one or two things is success because it depends on the youth we're working with. But I am really excited to say we've been doing this long enough that we do now have our assistant manager who has come up through our program and has grown into leadership that way. So that's definitely something that we want to celebrate. And one of our other youth has become a roaster. And so, you know, finding leadership positions for some of those youth is a great thing that we're looking towards seeing more of. I think a lot of what was just mentioned rings true with M&E. And I shortened the name just because I don't like saying the monkey and the elephant all the time. So (laughs) M&E Cafe is like shorting it. From the programming standpoint, it's a little bit easier to look at. Well, actually, for me, just because that's the background that I come from, it really it's based on like it's an individual basis. As long as they in some way have left with more, not with more, if they've left in a better space than they were when they started our program, hopefully if they've graduated the program, then they've been able to identify new means of employment or they were able to, to secure housing. Um, where they were able to either graduate from an educational program that they're in, or they've been able to enroll back in school. Those things are always big on my list when I look at success. And when it shows that we were able to help with that, whether it's just from an employment standpoint for the youth and young adults, or if we were able to support them when it comes to like professional development and getting them into position to find success. From a business standpoint, of course, like it's clearly numbers, honestly. That's what it looks like. And we just want to see growth in our numbers. But we can also say, of course, we also, I guess, get to slowly kind of like low-key brag about one of our young adults who actually started the program back in like 2015. He's now our general manager. And so seeing him go through the ranks, make his way up, go through programming and whatnot, and learn the actual program has been a blessing and a huge success for the organization and especially for him. So it just really depends on from it. It's an individual thing, but as a whole, we just want to make sure that they're able to learn to thrive while they're with us and continue to do that after. And I love what both of you guys said, because I think it's exactly what I think and what I say a lot of times to other people, you know, about success and just like what Bethany said, you know, sometimes success is just showing up for work for a month straight you know, or, you know, working at the register and, you know, interacting face to face with a person, you know, or overcoming your fear of the espresso machine or, you know, something like that. So I think we have these little successes. I think that sometimes people want to see, or they may have ideas of what success looks like, you know, the job, the car, the, you know, all of the stuff, which are all things we're working on in the program when we're working with the individuals. But again, 
you know, what I explain to people is we are not a shelter where we are feeding 50 meals a day. And when that job is done, we succeeded at feeding 50 mouths for that meal. We're jumping into the trenches at times with the youth that we're working with. And so those successes take time. And a lot of times because the kids that come into our program, you know, are 18, 19, 20 some years old, there's a lot of things that have happened. There's a lot of trust that has been broken between, unfortunately, biological parents and the people that should have been there the most. There's a lot of using and abusing and neglecting and just uncertainties of where they're going to go next. And so there's a lot of that time that I've come to realize that has to take place is just in the building the trust and allowing them to see that you are who you say you are and that you're going to stick around even through the difficult times. And I've been in a lot of situations with our kids that you know I never thought I would be in when we first started the crackpot. But I do believe that that's all part of what it's about building that trust and consistently being there for them. So I agree with Kamal, those bigger things that people want to see with they got a car, they've got a driver's license, they've got a place to live, they've got a good job, you know, those kind of things are really important to see. And those basic needs have to be there for them to succeed in life and to be thriving in in their life and in community. But I think those of us that are behind the scenes and in the trenches, I mean, I would run out of pages in a book if I wrote down all of the little successes along the way that I've experienced with all of our kids that are smaller things that are way more personal to them in their current situations and what they've been through. Yeah. If I could even continue on with what Emily's saying, what's interesting about some of the goals that you know a lot of programs have to look at, like obtaining a full-time job, a car, graduating high school. A lot of times we look at those things as the end of a story, like they completed it, their success, but the reality is stories keep going. And yes, they get that full-time job, but then maybe three months later they lose it. Or yes, they got a car, but it got repoed a short time later. And I think that's why the celebration of these many, many accomplishments from small to large are so important because what we are trying to do is set them up for a long, successful life of maturity and contribution to the community and stability. That doesn't just happen because we got them another job after us. That happens because they learn to show up, because they do learn to give their trust, because they do learn to help others even when they have very little to offer. And so I think it's so hard, and yet we could fill pages of saying what success is. But from far away, it doesn't always look like success. It's a long game that we're playing. Sure. And you have to, I think when you're working with these young people, you do have to look at the smaller steps, the smaller milestones, as opposed to just focusing on the bigger ones, because it helps keep them engaged. Sometimes just the smallest success is what's going to keep them going. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And I think that for me, working with the young adults that we've worked with is the mental wellness piece is so important because it might be that, yes, they need a job, but if they haven't worked through the trauma and the things that keep them awake at night, they're not going to be good to any job. They could land the best job in the world, but if they haven't dealt with the inner hurts and trauma and pains that are keeping them awake, that are causing them to not show up all the way, they're going to have a really hard time continuing through life. And so like what Bethany said was helping them identify and make those good choices, the better choice. 
putting those boundaries in place for themselves that they know if they do this or that, it's going to take them down that same road. And a big focus for me is stopping the generational cycle. You have the power empowering them and speaking to them in that way that you have the power in this time, in this place, in this program to stop that generational cycle that you lived, that your mother lived, that your grandfather, you know, all of that kind of thing. And so really trying to talk to them in that way. I remember sitting in a car with two of our guys after I got back from taking them to grocery shop. And we got into this discussion just about one of them opened up about just some of the things. And, you know, it brought me to tears and they laugh at me because I oftentimes do tear up and start crying with them. And they're like, here we go. Miss Miss Emily's (laughs) crying again. But I told them, you guys are not going to be the fathers that you had. And they looked at me and, you know, the one of them said, you really think that? And I said, I know that because of working with you as long as I have, that you are not going to be doing or not there for your children the way that your fathers weren't. And so that, I think for me, that success in knowing that when they leave, they're still going to make mistakes and the the success is not success until we can, you know, we're old and we look back at our life and we can really, really evaluate if our life was a success. But I believe that when they leave, that's my goal that's a measure of success is that they're leaving, going into the next chapter of their life, being a better person than what was passed on to them. Yeah, that perspective is, I think, extremely important, but so hard to have the patience for. (laughs) You know, you want to see them succeed now, (laughs) but you just have to hope. You just have to instill what you can instill and hope. I definitely think that it's about doing our best to prepare them for what they're going to come up against. And just to be clear, I don't want anybody to think that it was about hitting certain milestones because I know like we are supposed to meet every child. I mean, every young adult that we work with where they are. I think it's extremely important to be realistic with them about what to expect when they go to other places. I think also it's not only about preparing them for when they leave, but also preparing the rest of the world to embrace them for when they step into the space and creating spaces. A lot of the young adults we work with I don't want to say they don't have, but a lot of them are in spaces where they don't necessarily feel that they have the agency to advocate for themselves or empowered to do so, especially with young adults who I work with who are predominantly black and brown. There's definitely another barrier. And I have to admit that because I'm a young black man and I've experienced some of the things that they go through. It's extremely important to acknowledge those things. And so while all those, the graduating from college and whatnot, and, and those milestones are important, I definitely agree with the smaller things, right? And also letting them know, like showing up to work is something that you should be doing either regardless. And it's important to do that. And understanding like we have understanding about why this is happening. And so let me support you and find ways that we can get to those issues or those concerns that are sort of leading to why you're having a little bit of hard time getting to work or what that looks like. And then once it's done with, I mean, once you're starting to work through those things, acknowledging those things as successes and, and finding better ways to sort of hill from whatever you've gone through. And I think the real advantage of the model that you all have is you are the employer and you are the person supporting them through their journey. And so it's unlike a lot of programs where they, you know, the young people go off to an employer and they don't necessarily have that kind of support right there. They just have to be coached once they've come home or come back to the program. So I think there's a real advantage in being the employer yourselves. Which brings me to my next question, and I know we have a few minutes left. What jobs do your youth take on in the coffee shop? 
And I'll throw this in there as a mixed question. And what do they say they like best about working in this coffee shop model? I know I heard assistant manager from Bethany. I know that's at least one position and I'm assuming barista. (laughs) Yeah. So barista is the big one for sure. And our baristas do a lot of different things because we sell wholesale and some different things like that. So when you step in into that role, of course, you're learning coffee. You're also learning, you know, to do measurements and being very particular as they weigh out coffee for customers. And sometimes just the reality of like doing something with care because we can't, you know, put that coffee out there when you put the label on sideways or, you know, something like that. Ideally, we haven't seen this as much as I'd like to. We'd love to start seeing our youth, as I mentioned before, running with some of the special events. And so they get some more special event training in there. But primarily, our youth are working as baristas with a high focus on customer service, because that is what's going to transfer to so many different jobs. So a lot of our training is really focused on the customer service aspect. And then as we get opportunities, yes, we have had one move into a roaster position and one move into assistant manager. So we're really hoping to see more of those type of opportunities. Terrific. And what do they say they like about that environment? They don't love the customer service at first. So all of them (laughs) are really uncomfortable with that. And it's really fun that so many of them leave the other side of their internship with such a confidence that they actually end up liking the customer service part. And a lot of that has to do with having a really great community of customers who make it easy to go into that. But another place I've really seen is our youth really like learning to steam milk and work on the art side of things. So there's a bit of creativity that they really love. Fantastic. So I'll throw that to Kamal or Emily. How about your youth jobs they take on and what do they say? So yeah, we have baristas at the cafe. Everyone trains under our GM, who's also a graduate of m and of our program. That's basically pretty much what they focus on, customer service as well as preparing what they need to in the cafe. Of course, they also, we do a lot of baking in-house which a lot of cafes in our neighborhood don't. A lot of them just do wholesale. So we also have our in-house bakers that sort of work at the cafe as well. And then we also have our artist in residency program at m and which I think is important for us because a lot of our young adults, my thought is like a lot of them don't want to be baristas for the rest of their lives. If they do, that's cool. But for me, I want to make sure that they have opportunities to engage in other, other opportunities outside of the cafe as well. So we do have a an artist that we have displayed in our cafe quarterly. And so one or two of the young adults have the opportunity to put on sort of like an opening night in the cafe, as well as help to coordinate around our social media campaigning. So we just hired actually one of the baristas who's also a shift leader in training, wanted a new opportunity, and we made a position that's a social media coordinator. So whether it's dealing with TikTok or whether it's dealing with Instagram, just allowing them to express a little bit more about what they like about the cafe and also giving them a little bit of something more to write on their resume. I think someone mentioned earlier, like the cafe is a place where community is definitely built. And what I want to make sure is that anybody who comes into the cafe as a supporter or or just a regular patron, I encourage our young adults to have contact, communicate with them, speak to them, build relationships over time, because I know that through access and education, that's where some of the trajectory of some of their lives are going to change when it comes to building network. And that's where it happens. A lot of business plans, business meetings, and business decisions are made over, hey, let's grab a cup of coffee. So I would want them to actually understand that and how important it is 
especially being in Philadelphia. We're in a gentrified community. And so giving some of the young adults the opportunity to say, okay, like you may not ever speak to this person if you're just walking down the street, but you are in some ways engaging in the conversation and a discourse can take place just over a cup of coffee with you being somebody that serves them and sees them weekly. And you never know what could happen from that. So I think that's important. And I think the opportunity that they have to create those relationships, to build certain bonds with patrons that we see on a regular basis, weekly basis, or for somebody that I know who I'd like to, for them to meet, they have the opportunity to do that. And so one thing I can say, added on to something that they like is just, it's a relaxed kind of environment. It's still a professional space, which I really, really push for them to understand. But at the end of the day, I want them to know it's a place where they can learn to be professionals and not feel like they're under a microscope from nine to five or however long they're on on their shift. The jobs that we have available and the way that we have kind of tweaked our program and employment is that when a youth come into our program, we focus more on the front end of they go through a process of like a screening with our therapist and stuff like that, that we have partnered with. We just make sure that they're managing their mental wellness, their meds, you know, that kind of thing, and make sure that they have what they need on the mental wellness side of things on the front end, because we have learned that that is crucial to moving forward through the rest of the program and employment. We have found that there's actually some youth that come into our program that might not necessarily want to work in the coffee shop, or that might not be the best environment for them. There is one young man who, I mean, he loves the crackpot. He loves volunteering. He, you know, when he can doing certain things that he likes to do, he loves coming to the events that we hold. A lot of the events that we have for the younger adults, we have like a group that meets on a regular basis that's for not just the youth that are in our program and through the crackpot, but youth in general that can come in and have group where they get together. They do fun outings, stuff like that. They study the Bible together and things. So he doesn't necessarily enjoy the working in the coffee shop. He said, I want to be in more of like a warehouse setting where I'm alone and I can just keep putting things together. And so it's like, great, hey, we'll work with you in the program and achieving the goals of transportation and housing, just the mental wellness piece of what's going on, what career maybe down the road you want to do. So we go through the program side of things, but he doesn't necessarily work in the coffee shop. The ones that do work in the coffee shop, once they get to that point, we go through the soft skills and the job prep that they need. And then they interview with our general manager for a job in the coffee shop. They go through that process. And they, of course, I just agree with everything Kamal and Bethany said. I think the first thing that they love is that sense of belonging. And I think all of them, like Bethany said, are kind of hesitant with the whole customer service. We're going to give the best customer service. I don't tell them the customer is always right because they're not. Let's just be honest. <laughs> but <laughs> let's treat them, you know, let's make sure they leave happy. Let's put it that way. So there's a lot of emphasis on just like putting the customer first when they come in, making sure they're taken care of, doing everything we can. Serving other people, I think, is one of the greatest forms of therapy. So just helping them be tuned into how can they care for and help the customer, their coworkers, the shop in general. So they love that aspect, I think, of finding family. A lot of them will say, you know, when we talk to them that they found a place where they belong, they found their family. That's, I think, the thing they love the most. And then I agree with Bethany that they love being behind that espresso machine. I think that a lot of them just love <laughs> creating the steam and the latte art and the concoctions to please everyone palate. So yeah, I think that that's what they love. 
Well, I wish we could keep talking about this for another hour, but unfortunately we do have to close. So let me just ask this final question. Do you have any short piece of advice that you could give anybody who might be considering opening this kind of organization in a coffee shop or cafe type of model? What advice would you give? I would say, of course, someone mentioned earlier, finding capital, making sure that that is something that you have access to and also structuring the organization in a way that so you won't get burned out. I think it's so unique that we that we work in sales and retail in a way. And we also have like, there's the programming and nonprofit piece. And so they're not totally different, but they're different. And so being able to handle both and being aware of like the needs of both are really important. I totally agree. And I would just add to that, to give yourself time the end result of where you want to be does not have to be where you start. So give yourself grace and time and start small with your program, start small with your coffee shop, because it will grow and you don't have to be serving 100 youth a year. You know, even if that's where you end up, you can just start with two or three youth and let it build and grow and let your network build and grow and get started. You know, I would say I agree with everything that was already said. Those are all great things. I guess the thing I would add to what they have already said is, you know, being trauma informed. I think that's one of the greatest things that is helpful to the population you're serving because you have to a lot of times be that advocate, that balance of, we talked a little bit about being their employer. It's a tricky dance that we have to do being their employer and kind of setting the rules and the expectations, but then also advocating for them and at times feeling like the mama bear when it comes to defending them and people understanding the trauma-informed side of why they're making the choices that they are or they're sabotaging you know, something. So I think really, truly understanding what trauma does to the brain, what you're going to be working with, and how you advocate that to other coworkers, to the general public, to people that you're working with, even in court or with you're going to court dates and things like that. I think being knowledgeable as to who this individual is and just thoroughly understanding that as well as all the other aspects that Kamal and Bethany already spoke about. Excellent. Yeah, I can envision maybe somebody who already has a coffee shop might want to shift their model to bring in young people and support young people aging out of foster care. And I think that piece of advice is particularly important is to go out and learn get yourself some trauma-informed training before you do that. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. I agree. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, all of you, Kamal, Emily, and Bethany, for participating in this podcast today. I wish you all the best. I know I can't get out to visit Cultivate Coffee very easily (laughs) in Arizona, but I know Mechanicsburg in Philadelphia is close enough that I can come out and visit you all at some point again. So I hope what hope that I will, and I wish you all the best moving forward. Thank, thank you. you. For having thank, us. You, thank you so much. You're welcome. And thank you for listening to the end. We put out a podcast every couple of weeks or so. You can check our website, agingoutinstitute.org, and look for the podcast link. And we're pretty much on all of the podcast distribution platforms. So just check out any of them and look up our podcast and you'll find us there. Thank you very much for listening. Until next time.